Oh, and he confused me enough so that I was speaking to you without even you hearing me. So let me start over. The intro, uh, which you missed, was, of course, beautiful. And it was saying that my guest today is Baratunde, who is an author, an activist, a journalist, and a prankster, because he showed up 30 seconds uh, before actually starting the live stream. I had to get my shower and in, man. Got to wash this virus away. Well, uh, let's start with that, actually. And, uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to our um, jousting and laughing and, yeah. and coming up with all kinds of stuff. But it would be disingenuous not to address the fact that you are in the middle of a slaughter. You are in the middle of a war that was avoidable, that was... Uh, that would have been possible to be um, lived in a different way, but it didn't happen because of the mistakes of the people who were supposed to know better. And, and, and you are now living it. What, what, uh, how, how is it? I mean, I know because, because in a different way, I, I was in the middle of it two weeks ago, right? Yeah, no, when you put it that way, David, it sounds pretty bad. Um, and I want to thank you for your unexpected interview on my live show, live on lockdown, I post clips of and yours. We, I did the first test episode of that show, trying to bring some information and a little bit of levity and some global perspective to the situation. And we were talking in the show about Bergamo and you were in the chat and you kind of raised your hand and shared this very powerful advice of stay home, and you essentially predicted what has happened in the United States, that because we were late to take the physical distancing measures in a uniform fashion, uh, we would explode in, this, in a very similar way to what Northern Italy experienced. And depending on how you read the data, what's happening in the U.S. is actually worse. Uh, it's certainly worse morally because we had the advantage of early warning. We had Wuhan, we had South Korea, we had Hong Kong, we had Italy, we had Spain, and still the utmost powerful people in our federal government fail to act. So that is uh, what I would call malignant neglect, uh, not even benign, uh, because we knew better. We had a p pandemic playbook that was ignored from the previous administration by the current one, and it's avoidable. And I think what's really tragic, there's, there's many tragedies within the tragedy, and I spoke with a member of parliament in uh, the Netherlands, Kirsten van den Hol, who said, you know, there is a crisis within the crisis, and the pandemic itself has pandemics, and that is who's affected by this. Uh, and it, it is not, it's not an equal opportunity villain. Uh, it, it chooses its victims uh, based on their vulnerability. And that vulnerability tracks with poverty in the United States, tracks with race, tracks with ability, tracks with resources. Um, and so uh, an un, a, a vast minority is carrying the vast majority of the pain. And it didn't have to be this way. I look at New Zealand and I am so proud of uh, Jacinda Ardern there and so jealous of the Kiwis who lucked out or wisely chose better leaders. Um, and so our governors are making up for lost time. I'm proud to be in the Republic of California in the Western United States of America, uh, who acted more swiftly than others. But you're right in the setup. It didn't have to be this way. It was avoidable. And unlike other political mistakes, the immediate consequence of this is pain, is injury, is financial ruin, and is death. And that last one you can't come back from. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those ultimate mistakes. When you see people dying in nursing homes, you see first responders, whether they be law enforcement or EMS dying and know that that could have been avoided, there's a grave responsibility there. And, and there, there, will be a, there will need to be a policy and a political reckoning once this is through. But for the time being, uh, I'm happy to be here with you and I appreciate to bring it back to the start, your early warning, because I took that clip, I put it out and it got hundreds and hundreds of thousands. So. At a small way, I know you encouraged uh, many Americans to stay home. Your advice was sober and grounded and credible and grounded in reality. And so thank you for trying to save as many lives uh, as you did. Well, well, thank you. And, and it is uh, quite amazing that uh, the virus is representing the um, alien that uh, Hollywood dystopias uh, represent us uh, in science fiction movies, and right. those are generally coming with spaceships and destroying cities. This is coming from within, but uh, similarly, 
uh, it gives rise to global uh, coordinated effort in so many unexpected ways uh, in uh, uh, the songs from the Balkanese that New Yorkers love to 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 shut shut down <laughs> uh, at least uh, in in the in the late night shows uh, comedians uh, uh, bits uh, where yeah. where they try to sing but they can't uh, because they are they are shouted down or uh, more more importantly and seriously uh, in uh, the uh, research and scientific efforts and engineering implementations and open source innovation that uh, uh, so many people are are investing yeah. uh, really with their passion and creativity to come up with with new solutions uh, so so that is um, uh, that is exhilarating and and really heartwarming to to see now before we we start talking about you because uh, there are many things that I want to ask. Uh, do you believe that the reckoning that you uh, want to see come November will happen? Uh, is America, are the American voters going to attribute this where it belongs? Are they going to uh, to 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 sum up uh, if they find pros any with yeah. the the cons to to draw a conclusion and and uh, vote accordingly I, do you expect that uh, I, I, there uh, will be change that that will happen i don't have expectations of large groups of people i have demands <laughs> Uh, I have hopes, I have dreams, and I have my own modest, uh, underwhelming efforts to nudge folks in the direction I think is correct. Here's what I hope happens. Um, there is, uh, this current president has a remarkable ability to create a reality, which defies the objective one most of us live in. And his followers are quite loyal. He's got a media ecosystem, media ecosystem that prevents contrary information from entering. Coronavirus doesn't care about that. COVID-19 has no respect for Breitbart or One American News or Fox and Friends. It doesn't care about talking points. It doesn't care how big the crowd was at your inauguration. It's coming. And based on the data and experience you shared based on what's been proven out by all these models, I expect that there will be hell to pay and an unfortunate human cost among Trump's core constituents. You look at the states that were the slowest to move, the ones who value their freedoms over their compliance with a public health order, and you look at the underlying health conditions of many of his deepest supporters who have health complications due to situations connected to obesity, whether it's diabetes, high blood pressure, hypertension, uh, lung disorders, lung cancer, heavy smokers, all of that is, is comorbidity and, and is predictive of worse outcomes with this disease. And it's one thing to look at your television screen and yell at the immigrant over there who you've never met, who never actually took anything from you, only came to your country to try to help create some work for their own people and pay taxes into the system to help fund your healthcare. It's another to deny the death of your own family member. And I'm not predicting, and I'm certainly not hoping for this, but I expect that a lot of people who love this president despite his flaws and have willfully ignored some of the facts because they were encouraged to do so by a malicious and vindictive and mendacious media system will not be able to deny the death of their own loved ones. And that's going to hurt, and we're going to be grieving. And that grief will find anger, and that anger will find a target. And as the reporting is already showing, this president was very loud and very clear that this was nothing to worry about, that we've got this all under control, that this was a Democrat hoax, that they were just trying to impeach me with a fake Chinese virus. And again, you can scream that at the TV all you want until it's your grandmother or your grandfather or your son or daughter who is no longer with you. And all of a sudden, those talking points mean nothing because you cannot bring that person back. So I think this virus has the potential to change the shared reality because we will all share in grief, in mourning, in rage, and in a demand for accountability. And that's what I 
I want to see that demand for accountability come. But, you know, this guy's dodged a lot of accountability moments. So I will if, I refuse to predict it, but I do want to see it. And I'm going to do my part to try to get that information out there when, when it's it, 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 it is it is quite incredible uh, our rela reality how it has been transformed in many many ways uh, uh, one of the the most uh, uh, frightening ways for me uh, because even though uh, I have businesses in the US and I used to travel uh, literally commuting between Bergamo and New York uh, every couple of weeks uh, uh, um, uh, these days, I, I I don't evidently, but <laughs> yeah. but none of us uh, travel. Were we traveling? When we used to be able to do that? That was barely. Fun. That yeah. was fun. <laughs> um, uh, what what f it was frightening to me over the course of the past four years is the unstoppable transformation of my grammar, mm. of of how I found myself using. Uh, you know those exclamations, sad, or or the turns of phrases. Yeah. This influence, this this. Uh, uh, you know, I I I I don't know even how to characterize the the negative effect that it had on me, yeah. and and I could observe it on the grammar, uh, or or on the turns of phrases. But uh, if that is the case, then how much more? my ability to reason, my dialectic, my tolerance, my so many other things have been imperceptibly uh, transformed potentially for the negative. It is, it is unbelievable. Yeah. The, anyway. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah. The, I, I think the, um, the way we speak and the way we think has definitely been altered by the way we're living uh, before this virus and certainly during it. I, I have found myself Receiving and sending wishes for people to stay well. I, I never said stay well before. Stay well. Like it's it's not a, it's not a, a request so much as an order, which is like because if you're not well, I'm not well. And yeah. there is this um, acknowledgement of our interconnectivity, and uh, you know the generosity with which we hope someone close to us is doing well is also a selfishness that their wellness will be bestowed on us. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually the nature of things. And so we are reminded, even with the disparate impact, you know, racially and, and economically of who's paying, everyone's having to pay something. There is an impact on all of us. This isn't you know, so many tragedies that we've experienced, whether they be political tragedies or, or um, you know, natural events like hurricanes. They are local. They have a geographic specificity. This is one of the few truly global moments. And we've, you know, we've talked about you know, having a global culture before. We live in a global world, but not really. I mean, Facebook comes close every now and then. We can unite in our disdain for like Bill Cosby, perhaps, you know, and that brings people together. Uh, we can all hate Macklemore, you know, with the same sort of deep intensity. But this is a really, you know, every almost every nation, every city, every group of people is being well, asked uh, to the, do the same the, things, and that's kind of the, the reason. The reason why what you say is 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 very true is because the examples you give are not. Facebook <laughs> yeah. is blogged in China, and uh, mm. uh, a billion and a half people don't have the same experience uh, uh, that we have with Facebook. And yes, Cosby is a bad guy, but I tell you. A million and uh, a billion and two hundred million Indians probably don't know who he right. is, right? right? But yes, I have been in touch with uh, people who are organizing and who have organized thousands of meals for uh, uh, Indians who have been from one day to another thrown on the street because they yeah. were unable to pay next day's rent because they pay rent daily. Yeah. And and this person uh, organized for a month of meals for 5,000 people, just mm. amazing. And, and I mean, she could afford it evidently. But uh, uh, if, if it, she told me that there's no way any of them don't know about coronavirus, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so yes, this is a truly uh, global thing. And it is beautiful that our technology makes us aware of 
the good and the bad and yeah. that we can weigh one against the other and we can reason about it and we learn daily so much it is just just incredible yeah now, no there, there's been some beautiful things created in this moment um and I'm, i've been excited to share those as well as my growing sense of rage let me let me show you yeah um, when I came across you first okay. through Onion Magazine, ah. and I don't know whether <clears throat> this was your work or not, <clears throat> but it is still my favorite quote from, from Onion. God answers prayers of paralyzed little boy. No, says God. Yeah. It's genius. I love it. Was this I, you? No, no, it was not. I, I do. I miss the days of people asking me if I wrote a particular Onion headline. But <laughs> if I'm not the least of which, because my my job there wasn't primarily as a writer. You know, I was there as a as a producer, editor, and I okay. did do more writing there than I have for most other jobs I've had. Uh, but I must my job was managing, was coordinating, was empowering writers to think a little differently about how this material could come to be, how we interacted with our audiences, the nature of the jokes we could make, um, and, and then taking something like that and thinking about what's a new way to distribute it you know, in an app or in a social media feed, which was kind of revolutionary when I first joined The Onion back in 2007. I worked there from 07 to 2012. Uh, but yeah, the pithiness, the directness, the harshness, and uh, the intelligence of the format of the onion is still still impressive and uh, what what are i mean as with many of us probably uh, for you it is also the case that uh, so many of your projects have been uh, suspended or or kneecapped uh, by by what is going on but in terms of of the nature of those projects right uh, if we don't want to recall something that uh, you are unable to keep working on right now what is the nature of those projects how is the nature of 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 your work uh, evolving uh, over the course of the years uh, how would you describe that that's a that's a big question thank you um the nature of my work and how it's evolved over the years so the nature of my work let me kind of start with that piece of it what is it uh, I have struggled to come up with like single terms to describe myself. I've always had multiple commas or multiple slashes, comedian slash writer slash author um, slash producer slash hosts, you know, these sorts of things. I think what I've learned is I, uh, the nature of my work is communication and, uh, and a bit of motivation that I've, I've been granted and honed to some degree the ability to express ideas. And I've done that on stage into a microphone thousands upon thousands of times in front of thousands upon thousands of people. And I do it in, in words on, on pages uh, of virtual or physical. And, uh, and I do it into microphones and on camera as well. So communicating ideas is, is the nature of the work with uh, a sense of optimism or uh, progress and a sense of humor and, and I but I while I focus on things that don't tend to have those in their nature issues of race issues of fairness well like like the beautiful humor of uh, how to be black, to your, be black your book right? yeah, yeah. oh my god tell, tell us a little bit about that uh, I mean uh, I am in a reality where and and you know I don't know that even saying this is is something stupid but but uh, my um sensitivities yeah. are clearly um uh, underdeveloped because i am white i i cannot talk about the issues of race in a manner that is as informed and mature and and able to express uh, uh, the meaning of of what it is to be black in america today as somebody of your uh, uh, race, uh, if that is the appropriate term. You know, I don't even have the vocabulary. Uh, <laughs> You're doing great, so, Dave. You're doing great. So, so um, your book was just fantastic. How, how uh, humorous, how intelligent, how uh, 
uh, enraging at the same time, right? Yeah. But yeah, also no. empowering. So, so tell me about how the book came about and, and, and what were the reactions to the book? Um, the book came about uh, in an unplanned way. I, I had been working on a book somewhat related, but not really related with a friend, Cheryl Conti. We ran a blog back in the day. If you remember blogs, we used to type at each other aggressively on the internet. Now it's called Twitter. Um, but back then we had this blog called Jack and Jill Politics. It was a, a black oriented political blog. And we had been approached by a publisher to put a proposal together and, and write a book as a pre prelude to the election, I believe of 2008. It was like a black voters guide, kind of the early concept they wanted from us. And we were in touch with like a lot of black voters running this political blog. So we put a whole proposal together and we got a certain way down the field with this publisher and they just they dropped the ball completely. Like they ghosted on us like worse than sort of a tender date. And we let it sit. Years later, I'm doing one of my comedy tech talks at the Javits Center in New York City, a conference called Web 2.0. It's just, I feel so old saying all these words. <laughs> blog and web bill bill o'reilly yeah not yeah. that one the other one when all you needed to start an internet business was to drop a vowel from a normal word uh um, correct withdraw Flicker. money at you yes and tumblr and all these things so uh I, I was giving a talk about playing on twitter with hashtags and talking about race with another uh, elon james white a fellow comedian and political person and a publisher was in the audience and said Hey, I think you're, you've got a really strong voice, you know, and I think you got a book in you. You want to write a book? And I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and I had subsequent meetings and was convinced that maybe that was the wrong answer. And so I, I, the book came about because I had laid a mi miniature groundwork before with this stalled book project because I had years of writing under my belt for my own website, for a blog, because I had years of stand-up comedy under my belt in terms of flexing my voice. And because I was loud on the internet and on stage, and a publisher saw that and said, we could do something. Uh, and so you know, there's a longer story of what happened and the ups and downs, but it came out and it was very successful. It was received well in the market, so to speak. It became a New York Times bestseller, though technically only on the list for two weeks, but that's all you need. That's a binary status. Like you either were on the list or you weren't on the list, and I'm not trying to advertise just two weeks on. You, you are a best-selling author, yes. according to the New York Times. For the That's rest it. of my life and beyond. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that was good. And then the, so the texture and the emotion of the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Early on, before people read the book, they heard the title, and I got some pushback, especially from older Black Americans. We're like, who are you to tell me how to be Black? That's ridiculous. <laughs> And the, the satire wasn't communicated just in the cover. If you saw it, you could easily yeah. be annoyed to offended. Uh, but once folks, you know, even reading the back cover, hearing me on NPR or other shows or podcasts, or actually reading the book, which a few people have done, uh, you realize, oh, this is uh, an invitation. This is written with love. It is a, a lot of comedy, but it's also a lot of personal sharing as it's a memoir. And so I, I talk about elements of my life that have been true, that have been painful, um, and that have been, you know, interesting. And yeah, I'm really, it's one of the greatest pieces of work I've ever done. <laughs> so I'm like massively proud of it. It still Not, sells. It's in schools a lot now, which is really great. Ah, that's wonderful. So and and, and, and libraries, of course. Yeah, libraries Very have it. Very good. Um, I still do signings, you know, when I uh, do public speaking events. And actually I was supposed to be in uh, Kansas City in the next few weeks doing a joint event um, at the Johnson Public Library there with another author friend, Tanner Colby, who's a, a white author who wrote a book about race. And we shared a podcast for years called About Race. And we were gonna do this live event with students and the books and kind of talk about the situation on the ground. That's been postponed as has much of life right now, but hopefully we'll find a way to So, So I, I invite our viewers uh, uh, like uh, Carla, uh, to 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 speak and to ask questions, of course, yeah. to Baratunde as well. Uh, Carla loved the book, uh, so Carla, Hi, thank Carla. you very much. Thank you, yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. So back to the uh, evolution of your of your work and your voice. Um, do you do you feel that um, 
that uh, comedy is appropriate for every circumstance? Is is the too soon uh, applicable to things like uh, evidently Corona, where people uh, who are professional comedians and they have to make people laugh will ask themselves, okay, when I when can I crack a joke around or about Corona? Yeah, so I I've, I don't think there's any rules on things like that, and I think broadly speaking. Every human experience has humor in it, but how that humor emerges and who delivers it is highly um, variable, highly dependent. There are, you know, there are great jokes about refugees by refugees, you know, uh, about the experience of living in a refugee camp. There are incredibly powerful jokes about childhood abuse by survivors of childhood abuse. Um, I think for the abuser to make that joke is a further act of abuse <laughs> and cruelty. And I think for someone who is unsensitive to the pain associated with the experience to flippantly disrespect or disregard that pain in service of a laugh can be highly offensive. Uh, but there, there are ways to approach it and there are people who are better positioned to do that or not. And I, I would also you know, say, look, there, for all of us going through pain, right now and everyone in the world in some degree or other even the wealthiest person is experiencing something less than what they expected of this day right now even the most secure healthiest person has a little bit less going for them today than they thought they would have if you asked them six months ago um we all want some release too like no one just wants to be in the crisis thinking only of the crisis Uh, if, if that were the and, case, and you know what we, we can never, be sure of? We would have made art through history. There's always a war. There's always a famine. There's always heartbreak. There's always a struggle. And because of those things, not just in spite of them, we make art to help us experience the world, sometimes to help us escape our experience of the world. And so I think it's a great public service, too, to be able it, to provide you know, entertainment to folks who are going through hard times. And, and at least we can be sure that whatever jokes we make, yeah. uh, the virus won't get offended. That's true. The coronavirus back doesn't give it to the, and, and, and social justice warriors probably will not step up to the defense of the rights of the virus <laughs> or, or, or vegan activists are not going to say, please protect the virus. That it's, 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 it's a slaughter. We are killing the virus by the trillions. Yeah, yeah. No, no one... Well, the, yeah, the only people defending the virus are those who have terrible policies that prioritize the virus over human life. But that's right. not a joke, right? And so no one's that's defending right. those that's people. That's reality. Yeah. That's reality. Now, talking about uh, social justice warriors and political correctness, mm -hmm. uh, what, what can a, a, a comedian do today in order to exist in a, in a mentally sane space where he or she knows that it is practically guaranteed that the, if, if the trajectory of our behavior continues the way it, it has for the past several years, that in 10 years' time, uh, the, 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 the morality or, or the, the circumstances or the rules of behavior will have evolved to a point where it is guaranteed that looking back, the person will be judged negatively and then potentially deplatformed for something that is perfectly normal today. Let me make a, a simple example. In 20 years time, we will look all barbaric because eating animals is not gonna be normal either because they are source of pathogens mm -hmm. and we don't want to catch those pathogens or because we recognize them as sentient beings because, oh my God, bacon is good, but the pig is as capable of dreaming as my dog. But I'm still eating the pig today right? and bacon. And, and, um, and so how can somebody crack a joke knowing that there will be extreme judgment uh, and, and, and punishment as a consequence whenever, not necessarily today, but guaranteed in the future. So I, I don't think that 
your question or the or the sort of the person embodied in your question is uniquely a comedian. Um, in some ways, hopefully, 20 years from now, we will look on much of our current behavior as barbaric. We will, we will look at our version of capitalism as practiced in Western economies and say, how absolutely uncivilized to not guarantee healthcare to every person, given the amount of wealth uh, in the world. Apologies, you, that is not Western oh, countries. That? that is just the fucking United States. There you go. Sorry. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for your French, too. I appreciate that. So, so, so yeah, I, 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 want some, I, I want our children and our godchildren and our nieces and our, our proverbial, our metaphorical children to judge us harshly because I judge our ancestors harshly and I don't, I don't want to defend uh, the lack of women's access to the ballot today, even though there were probably some really great jokes about it back in 1942. <laughs> but that should not be celebrated in, in 2022. Uh, uh, so progress is what it's called and we should encourage it. So in the moment when making statements, when making business decisions, when making policy decisions, I think you wanna do the best you can with what you know at the time and to some degree anticipate where the market's moving. A good business leader doesn't just make a product for right now. You kind of think, where's the market gonna be? And you, you, you skate to where you think the puck is gonna be according to like Wayne Gretzky rules. And I don't even play hockey, but it's sound strategic advice, generally speaking. Um, so, so I'm not, I'm not one of the, I'm not one of those artists or comedians who feels under siege by the quote unquote social justice warrior. I, I am glad that there are people in a fight for social justice. I think it's kind of a badge of honor. Um, I do at the same time think that every group of people is available for ridicule, for parody, uh, for comeuppance and for humor. And so I don't think anyone's kind of off limits. And I think you know, what Dave Chappelle did in one of his recent stand-up comedy specials was a, an amazing service and a really difficult act to challenge where we know the, the world is going, where most of us, if we were asked 20 years from now, would agree is the right direction, whether it's not eating animals or not sexually abusing women at scale, right? Uh, yeah, no one's going to defend that, hopefully, in, in 30 years. But right now, it's like a really tough call. Like, why can't I make a subjugatory remark at my workplace? Okay, sure, Dad. <laughs> like, but you're not going to want to defend that 20 years from now. Um, but, but even in that truth, like, they've made fun of the factions within the progressive movement in the U.S. Uh, among the LGBTQIA community. And with great sensitivity, I thought, and great awareness of the tensions within this coalition, picked apart those tensions through humor. And I, as one of those people who sees himself as a social justice warrior, I was like, good day, you got us. Like, that's the sign of a good artist and a good communicator. And, uh, and, not and, everybody's going to see it that way. People are just going to get offended and not acknowledge. But I, I, I try to be really real with myself. And I'm like, if there's truth in it, and his intention was not to harm, and it was legit a, a good joke and like credit where credit is due. Not everybody's Dave Chappelle. Not everybody can do that. But I think it's worth the effort. And I, I don't myself want to think too much about the fear of judgment 20 years from now, because I, I hope we're all judged 20 years from now. I should be judged for what my facial hair is. It's probably going to look ridiculous in 20 years. Oh, look at mine. Oh, my God. Look at this. Your this. face like that. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's perfectly fine. Yesterday, yeah. uh, or, or, or maybe three days ago, I received an email from Louis C.K., uh, who cannot tour, right. and he dropped his latest comedy special, and I bought it. Am I a bad person? I mean, you're a bad person for other reasons, David. I don't know that, that buying Louis C.K.'s comedy album makes you bad. Um, I think the, the issue with someone like Louis is... He seemed to kind of skip over the part where he kind of took responsibility for some of the actions that he you know, put out into the world. And it, it felt like, and I don't know the ins and outs of his situation personally at all. I know what I've read and what I've heard from a few people who kind of are closer to the situation just because of the world comedy. But it felt like this was someone who was very eager to get to the forgiveness stage without walking through the... Uh, 
accountability or repent stage. And I don't know what it looks like. I think, you know, all, all of that stuff is kind of on pause right now. Uh, there are no workplaces to go to right now. There are no comedy shows to attend. Uh, so, so we are all kind of equidistant from each other in the universal lounge that is Zoom. But when, when we come back, it'll be interesting to see how we have figured out what healing looks like, what um, justice in this moment looks like. And, and I think, you know, there is a, there's a, there's a tool from the universe of social justice warriors, uh, not universally applied, but there's a tool within criminal justice that's started to find its footing in the world of Me Too, and that is called restorative justice. And it is not strictly punitive. You know, in the West, we have a very, like, not just in the West, in the world, we have a punitive system of justice, by and large. You do something wrong, you get removed from society, you get punished, you're banished. It's very old school. You kind of get sent north of the wall in a Game of Thrones sort of sense, and that's supposed to make the rest of us, it's supposed to make you think about what you did, and it's supposed to deny you access to the benefits of society, whether it's housing or voting or the freedom to choose, you know, how you spend your time. Uh, restorative justice takes a different approach and involves the victims of the crime in the determination uh, uh, what what is meaningful to them to make the community whole, what feels like healing to them. And, and so it's a much more collaborative effort and it's about um, healing the, the community and restoring a sense of justice, not just of, of punishment or exile. And so that model has been used in, in the community bases all over the world. And I happen to be a friend with, with a man named Zach Norris, who works at the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights out of Oakland, who's just written a book um, called, what is it, We Save Us, We Help Us? I have to look up the, the title. But I think there is a way for that to apply um, in all sorts of, of transgressions, in all sorts of moments of injustice. How do we restore it? And how do we create a process? We keep us safe. That's, the, that's, that's my boy. That's Zach. Yeah, we were supposed to do an event uh, exactly a week ago in the Bay Area at Manny's uh, in San Francisco. And of course, you know, everything's canceled. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see that world. And so for our Louis C.K., you know, to, to talk to, with great facilitation, the women who he so grossly uh, offended, took advantage of, disrespected, what do they need from him? What do they need to hear? What do they need the larger comedy community to do in terms of policy? And how can we all come you know, level up, <laughs> as I say in my TED talk, to, uh, to get to a world that we all would rather be living in? Because I don't think the answer is we permanently exile everyone who's ever done anything wrong. And I think, you know, I, I don't argue for that for people who sold drugs or robbed liquor stores or even for, for people who've committed murder. There are ways back and we have to create those ways back. Otherwise, we're, we've all crossed a line. We've all violated some code. We're all criminals. We just haven't all been caught. Uh, so yeah, those are my very extended thoughts on your very short question. And, and uh, it is so wonderful to, to see that the naysayers that uh, um, go back to the, the biblical, maybe, not an expert, uh, uh, say there's nothing new under the sun are wrong, that we are able to evolve morally and in our behaviors and in how we confront injustice and wrong and, yeah. and criminal acts, uh, and uh, we become better people, creating a better society. It is uplifting, especially because it comes uh, from so many different directions uh, uh, intermingling and uh, enriching each other civilizations not clashing but civilizations merging and becoming better uh, through this uh, ability to 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 look at each other and yeah. and seek uh, their mutual betterment and and cheryl donald uh, says uh, god bless you bertunde and thank you david for having him on the show can you, Carla, can you go back to Cheryl's comment? Of course, I just want of to course. point out her um, profile image is this quote. It says, your smile is your logo. Your personality is your business card. How you leave others feeling after an experience with you becomes your trademark. That is so beautiful, Cheryl. And what a great hack on the profile photo to make it a message. 
Uh, and I, I agree with, with all those things. That's really, that's really great. Good catch because I only left it up for a few seconds, but very I'm, well done. My job is to pay attention. That's, that's always on, <laughs> always on. And, and Carla chimes in uh, saying that right on L Street, art started a site to share art, hashtag Corona Creates. Look yeah. at that. She wrote that yeah. when we were remarking of how art and comedy could uh, intersect with, uh, with Corona. There's, uh, um, you know, one of the things I put, I have a weekly newsletter called Recommend Tunde, uh, which people can find at the username on the screen, baratunde.com. And I, um, I try to weave in, you know, fun, creative action, as well as uh, self-righteousness and, and, and rage and just sort of information. But I have been truly uh, impressed by the uh, creativity emerging from this moment by the Zoom hacks, by there was something I put in my newsletter this week where people were um, asked by some website to recreate their favorite paintings just with household materials. Uh, and uh, let's see if I can find that website. It'd be really fun to pull that up. It was like, sad. Why not? I, I can just uh, search for it while you are speaking. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, it's baritunet.com slash email. That might be a link to the latest... Oh, I know what to do. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll drop it in the chat. Uh-huh. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. But yeah, there's, there's just, there's so much fun. See examples. Is that my archive, great. Most recent one from April 7th. And... Museum asked people to recreate sadanduseless.com that's the thing and let me just hit you up private chat oh. i'll give it i'll leave it in your hands oh my god i i will chop off uh, your uh, identifying uh, variables that uh, facebook kindly uh, oh, yes, added to the url yeah no problem no problem evil, evil book um museum the most depressive humor site on the internet i love it already <laughs> All right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw some of these original, and then the great. <laughs> How can yeah. you not laugh? This is so beautiful, and it's just showing. You know, our um, we have this like built-in desire to create, to ridicule, to collectively participate in something. <laughs> uh, I mean that dog really became that. Is that a Vermeer? What it's just that's uh, it's great. I I wouldn't know and my mother is an artist so and and and, and so she will now um be mad at me. And this one is like I mean it's almost too good. They've got some really Th That's good right. This is this is cute. That's like but, professional. Uh, I, that's I think right. the production values right. are too high on that. Yes, one exactly. Me. Exactly. This sounds good. Very good, very good, yeah. very funny, and very needed. Absolutely, absolutely. So, thanks for so uh, imagine yourself in uh, two years' time. Yes. Um. And 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 uh, what are some of the variables if you wanted to be a forecaster? And even better, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of backcasting, yeah. which is you uh, de design mentally or in a group a scenario mm -hmm. that is desirable to you, and then you take the steps necessary from that future state yeah. to you in the present to understand what you need to do in order to get there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite, I call it planning. Right. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, backcasting is very, that's a way more professional term. I'm going to, I'm a backcaster now. I like that. Not to be confused with yeah, backcasting, which is something from the DC Comics universe. But. Or, 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 or cat patting. Yes, which is you know, very stress reducing in the age of Corona. Yeah. So whether you do backcasting, forecasting, planning, yeah. what is the state you would like to see yourself in two years and do you believe that you can uh, uh, increase the probability of that becoming true by things that you can do today? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have 
I have some hopes and plans uh, for the future that I don't just hope will happen. I'm taking steps to make them happen. Um, this goes back to one of your earlier questions about the evolution of my art, my career. And, and one of those connects to the, to the future, which is I have made my work largely kind of in participation with and with great respect for the audience that I'm trying to serve. Um, so I set up two-way channels of communication through text messaging and email, not just watch me and follow me and click like on my stuff, but like, let me learn from you and listen to you. And you were such a powerful example. I remember meeting you physically the first time when you were part of a sketch for the TV show I made that never happened. Yeah. Um, so, I thought yeah. it was secret. It, it was, but you know, time erases all secrets. Uh, you know, it's it's like the erosive power of a river against stone. So I, I I have a future state of just sort of personal, familial growth and development. You know, my relationship with my partner, with my friends and loved ones, my financial relationship with property and debt, um, and and I have taken some steps to kind of improve those and I can see many more goals to establish and kind of ways of achieving them. And then on the more mundane professional front, it is about creating the structures that allow me to grow. You know, I have moved so far in my career through instinct and it served me really well. Um, and I have enough of an analytical mind that I can pull off a lot on my own with just uh, brute force techniques. But to get where I want to go uh, requires much more coordination, much more reliance on others, much more backcasting and planning, and a much more strategic decision-making about what I say yes to, what I decline, and how everything I do connects with everything else and sort of builds toward something greater. Um, and you can, you've seen the seeds of it even, okay, I'm on all these social media platforms, but I really want to have a direct relationship because I've learned that everything I build in someone else's house can disappear when they decide to tear down their house or change the locks in the form of shifting an algorithm or going out of business. Um, and so having you know, a relationship through email, through texting is just a small example of that. And then the other is, you know, the topics that I care about addressing, I've gotten much clearer about what those are. And I just don't weigh in broadly on other areas that interest me, but they're just not my core. And so I have to start rejecting things. And like, what I say no to, I think it's going to be a big part of my backcasting exercise to be able to achieve the things I do want to. Um, it is so important to understand that the ownership uh, of our data is not only about uh, what uh, Facebook exploits uh, and, and how other companies even less um, uh, disciplined in their development practices allow themselves to 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 just lose carelessly yeah, uh, yeah. in the world like hundreds of millions of social security numbers mm -hmm. of americans which will never be changed it's not like a credit card number when you cut off the card and you resubscribe to the various things uh, that that uh, are are uh, you know, being rejected because your card is changing. No, your social security number is that forever. And it means that uh, the, the breaches are going to impact everybody forever. It, it, it is even more because so much of our reality is described. And these days, you know, the percentage is, is I don't know, maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 percent of our reality today is constituted by digital bits. Yeah. That 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 really just as you want to be able to own your body, and and uh, the African American slaves emancipated themselves because they were property before, and they gained the right to be seen and recognized legally, and then little by little in practice in their day to day lives as human beings endowed with with all the rights of everybody else we have to gain a, a more profound understanding that the digital bits we create embody us yep. uh, as well. And that if we don't own them, then uh, we are as slaves in front of a future that is not gonna be less digital tomorrow. 
I agree with you 1,000%. I, I've been screaming that myself as, as loudly as I can, and you put it so well. Um, I think you know, data rights are human rights, to kind of paraphrase another popular statement. Um, we, you know, the women's movement has a phrase, my body, my choice. I think my data, my choice will mm -hmm. extend. And I think you know, we are, in the, in the digital world, representations of us are us. And so to have um, control of your representation is to have control of yourself. And that is a, uh, that's going to become a more obvious truth in, again, we skip ahead 20 years and think about the things we will look back at as, as uh, uncivilized or idiotic. Like, wait, you did what with all of your financial behavioral history? You did yeah. what with your location? You just gave that away that's and right. let a handful of very large mega corporations exploit it? You were a data slave is what you were. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and so the ability to control what happens with information about us will become as important as what happens to us because there will be no distinction between those two given the increasingly virtual world we're living in. And we're getting a little, we're in, we're in like a little simulation right now. This is a corona accelerated simulation of what it looks like when everyone lives in the cloud. Well, uh, or, or on Mars, you know, we are all in our little uh, uh, spaceships yeah. uh, uh, where uh, understanding sustainability becomes even more important because we realize, okay, for now, the air is breathable because mm -hmm. Corona is not airborne. But some of us can imagine, okay, let's hope the next variant is not going to be airborne because then we have to equip with air filters right. our homes in order not to get infected because yeah. the air will not be breathable anymore and it will be even more Mars-like. And I am wondering if depressed man is, is, is depressed and I hope uh, if he is, he can find um, a journey uh, where the depression can be positively managed in, in, in one yeah. way or another, chemically or or through uh, therapy or through friendship. Um, and I wonder if uh, uh, depressed man is a bot. Uh, and, and I kind of hope that depressed man is a human because we don't have bots that behave like that yet. But uh, I, I hope that uh, depressed man just pretends to be depressed and yeah. that uh, he's a Russian operator or whatever else. And, and I am happy that you are engaging uh, with him or it uh, because <laughs> uh, bots have rights too or oh, yeah. bots out to have rights or we out to uh, discuss what kinds of rights we should endow bots with sooner then they ask for it because they will, and we better be ready. There's, there's um, a, a really interesting show on Netflix. I think I actually finished Netflix thanks to coronavirus. There's nothing you, I have. You ended Netflix? Yeah, I completed Was there Netflix. like a door? I completed the set. <laughs> the end? <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing was like the first episode of MASH or something. I don't know. I, um, but I found myself watching a Russian drama. Uh, called Better Than Us. And I think you would really mm -hmm. dig it, given everything you said and the work you do in, in investing in future casting, etc. Um, it, it's set in a world of humanoid robots who act as our servants, sort of an iRobot type universe. But uh, there is a resistance movement that doesn't like this encroachment on human labor and opportunity by bots. Uh, there are, the jobs are being threatened in a really real way, whether it's, you know, clerks at the morgue or teachers of certain types of classes or home caretakers, butlers, um, house cleaners, etc. Let's just have a bot do it. So there's, there's a great battle of sort of money and investor interest versus social interest that plays out in this series and an underlying threat of, of propaganda and disinformation that helps prop up the whole show. Uh, so if folks are intrigued by your idea of bot rights, uh, I think they would really dig this show, uh, this Netflix series, better than us. And uh, definitely there is uh, a lot to, to, to discover and to analyze scientifically, 
implement from an engineering point of view, narrate uh, in uh, uh, novels or uh, nonfiction mm -hmm. uh, books that, that make these topics approachable to uh, a, a large number of people. And there are a lot of comedy pieces, a lot of uh, new kind of uh, entertainment also to be built uh, uh, around these, yeah. both the uh, drama kind, but also uh, for, for laughs. Um, and um, I, a previous uh, guest on the show was uh, an AI uh, practitioner called uh, uh, Roman Yampolsky. Okay. And uh, he, he was saying, well, yeah, uh, AI will write jokes too. It and, already is. And, it already is. I can tell and, you. And 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 the done. time will and the time will come when similarly how Disney movies or maybe not Disney movies but Shrek has jokes that can be uh, interpreted by children at a level and adults will laugh on the same joke at a different level as adults. AI will write jokes that will have several layers and some of them will be understandable only among AIs. And if we ask kindly, they will try to explain the joke to us and it won't make uh, any sense anymore at that point. Uh, but uh, that is how Roman feels it is going to uh, go on. I, I just shared a link with you, botnik.org, B-O-T-N-I-K. Some friends set this up. Uh, I used to run a series of comedic hackathons with a company I helped create called Cultivated Wit. And folks from that world went way farther down one path, which was sort of machine learning, uh, machine generated humor. If you scroll to the very bottom of that uh, homepage, you'll see some examples of what's been created by the folks over at Botnik, by the bots at Botnik, sort of human coached machines. And you, they, you fill in a corpus of text uh, in some cases, like every Harry Potter novel, and then you have the bot write a Harry Potter chapter. Uh, wow. There's, there's Fortnite examples, there's Radiohead songs, uh, there's all kinds of, there's boat names, there's Han Solo interviews, there's scripts for Arrested Development, the TV series, um, and they, are, they have a lot of presence on social. They put video out as well. So it's going to, I love the idea, though, of what you just shared of like bot on bot humor and sort of inside jokes among the robots. And you know, we yep. saw this in the past two years where a machine learning was allowed to kind of proceed unfettered and these machines communicated at such speed and in such uh, sort of encryption with, among themselves that the humans could no longer understand what the machines were saying to each other. And maybe they were just passing jokes back and forth or maybe they were figuring out how to destroy us and help a virus leap from like you know a wet market in china to the rest of the human race i'm just asking questions i don't know uh, 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 i don't uh, uh, know uh, uh, uh. <laughs> don't don't reveal too much because then they will come after you um so uh so baratunda this has been uh, fantastic and yes, thank you for having uh, me. i am i am very happy for uh having had you on searching for the question live uh, if uh, our viewers want uh, to reach out to you, baratunda.com is the best. They can sign up for your newsletter. Yeah. They can interact with you uh, with your novel uh, text messaging uh, uh, system that would appear old-fashioned, but it is also um, timeless, uh, yeah. allowing uh, your followers to, to speak up. Uh, thank you uh, greatly, and uh, I hope to have you back, uh, uh, or I hope to be able to sit with you uh, in, in your room or my room or in a studio. I want to sit in your room. You've got more books than me. I need to get a very educated, smart bookshelf behind me so I can look more credible. I, I just got a blank wall. I could be... I could be in the Matrix right now. So, <laughs> well, well, there is a joke uh, about this too because uh, the, uh, the, um, the setting you see uh, is a green screen. Yes. <laughs> except that it is the photo of oh, the bookshelf <laughs> behind me. <laughs> Stimulating reality. I love it. I love it. You are, you are, you're eating your own dog food, as they say in the business. There you go. Yes. There you go. Well, thank you, David, so much for having me. Uh, sincerely, Absolutely. thank you again for being a guest on my show and getting the word out. A lot of people heard you and took appropriate action, even though our foolish uh, 
top public servant continues to only serve himself. So uh, good luck to where you are and to you and your loved ones and enjoy your evening uh, as it is where you are as well. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. And, I, and I want to thank you, uh, our viewers, for the questions. And uh, I uh, invite uh, you all to uh, follow uh, Searching for the Question live uh, on uh, my website. Uh, uh, watch uh, previous episodes, which are all available uh, on all the platforms where we are streaming on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Twitch. Um, sign up for my uh, newsletter. And, uh, of course, if you uh, appreciate um, following uh, what I create, uh, what I think and talk about and share with all of you, uh, you are very welcome to uh, support uh, this show and uh, the rest of my team as well who are helping me put it together on uh, Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash David Orban and you choose the amount that uh, you believe is uh, right, both uh, for your pocket, as well as for the value that I deliver to you. Thank you again, and uh, see you uh, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>